Hello out there, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dan Roberts, and today we're going to give self-care and mental health maintenance one more think. To begin, I'd like to do a thought experiment, if you'd be so kind as to join me. Think of the last time you felt truly content, proud of yourself, accomplished, fulfilled, deeply happy. What did you do that made you feel that way? If you have a clear picture of what that was, next ask yourself, when was the last time you did that thing? Now, if it was a long time ago, or if you only did it once or twice, then I ask the question, why? The answer to this question, and the reasons why we do such a poor job at caring for ourselves, are at the core of the problems we have as a culture with self-care. Self-care is not a mystery, but it is work. The problem is often not that we don't know how to care for ourselves, but that for some reason we convince ourselves that we don't deserve the time or investment that it would take to do the things that genuinely feel like self-care. Instead, we limp along on a kind of minimal nutrient emotional drip wondering why we feel emotionally hungry all the time. Good self-care is very often not even about the self, but rather about taking good care of others. Service to others can be deeply healing. There's a truth to the old saying that if you would forget your own problems and struggles, focus on the problems and struggles of someone else. In lifting them up, you'll raise yourself as well. Self-care is also deeply connected to your personal values. Doing things that violate those values, what you hold to be good and true, will never feel like actual self-care. Self-care is deeply values connected. Doing things that violate uh, what you hold to be good and true will never feel like real self-care. For instance, if you value physical fitness, then eating ice cream for breakfast will not be self-care but going for a hike very well could be. And if you value music, then going for a jog might not feel like self-care at all, but joining a chamber orchestra or practicing your instrument, learning to play a new song could feel deeply like self-care. So much of our effort in self-care tends to be based upon false standards of society. Be skinny, have money, wear new clothes, paint your face, change your hair, etc., etc., etc. But these are based on impersonal societal assumptions, and real effective self-care has to start at the level of self-awareness. Only what really moves you and feels like success and value to you will actually work to be self-care. If you don't know what those things are, then the pursuit of that knowledge is probably needs to be your first step. To give an example of what I'm talking about, I want to share a story of a client I worked with some years ago. This was when I was a military therapist working in Germany. I had a client who spent decades pursuing a career that he thought he loved, but he realized after those 20 years that he had never been actually happy or that he wasn't truly happy in that career. He was always looking forward to his vacations, his time away from work. But then when he'd go on these vacations, 
When he came back, he never felt refreshed or energized. He would just dread going back to work. When he spent long weekends with his family, doing the things that he told himself he should want to do, he never really enjoyed them. Now, he was just a normal guy doing normal things, but he wasn't enjoying these activities that he set himself up to do. So he told himself after several years of this, that he must be depressed because nothing made him happy. But when I met with him, he didn't seem depressed to me. He had normal emotional range, good sense of humor, good energy level. He just seemed sad, defeated, like he was grieving something. And perhaps he was actually starting to have a clinical depression, which by definition means being more sad than his circumstances can explain. But when I started talking with him more in depth, it turned out that not only did he struggle to tell me when the last time was that he had actually done something he was proud of, he had a hard time even imagining what that thing would be. He had no sense of his own source of pride and accomplishment. And when I realized that, I knew that we'd found the source of some of his problems. I met with this man many times and found that he was putting a ton of effort into being happy but he was putting all that effort into the wrong places. Like somebody who keeps pouring water on the counter but missing their cup. He was doing the right effort, but not getting the desired result because he was off by just an inch or two. And, just like in that metaphor, he was making a big mess of things. It took him some genuine soul-searching, but he eventually found what he'd been missing for more than 20 years, and it was hidden in an obscure memory from his early childhood. As a kid, he loved to ride his bicycle. Specifically, he loved the feeling of the wind in his face, in his hair, the sensation of speed and adventure. He loved the freedom to explore his neighborhood, to range further out than he ever had before. And he loved the challenge of finding his way back home. These were massively powerful memories for him, full of positive emotion that he missed desperately. So with this memory in mind, he went about working to recreate that specific sensation, in his words, to be a brave and free adventurer again. For those past 25 years, he had been safe and successful and steady, and those are all great things to be, but his joy was missing. So after talking for a while, he decided he would go to a bike shop and buy himself a bicycle. He wanted to return to the direct source of his childhood happiness, but after a few weeks of riding a bicycle, he recognized that he just couldn't find the same joy he once did. The bike just didn't give him a sense of adventure anymore. It felt like work, not fun. He returned to me after realizing that, feeling defeated and discouraged. But I was undeterred, and I sent him out into the world once again to try. It wasn't the bicycle, I told him. It was the feeling of being a brave and free adventurer that was crucial to him not pedals and spokes and handlebars. So he went out again, undaunted, in search of something that he could do that would make him feel brave and free. And he found an unlikely candidate in an unlikely place, a rowboat. See, he lived close to a river where there was a rowing club. He'd never rowed in his life, certainly never as a hobby. But here it was, this club close to his house on a big, lazy German river. And he decided to take the first brave step. He walked over to the people he saw there and introduced himself. Now, he was worried that they would be standoffish or cliquish or rude. 
He was worried they wouldn't understand him, since this was in Germany, or they wouldn't like him as a foreigner. He was worried about a million things, but he was brave enough to dare to talk to them anyway. And when they then turned out to be incredibly friendly and welcoming, it was almost an unnecessary benefit. He was just proud of himself for being brave. Their kindness was just an unexpected bonus. He asked them about their club, about what they were doing there on the river, and they gave him all the information he wanted to know and more. They even invited him to join them the very next weekend, a Sunday morning, bright and early, when the water was still and smooth. He didn't even have to pay for it. He was their guest. He left that single conversation with two incredible things, something to feel proud of, his courage in talking to them, and something to look forward to, which was the meeting on Sunday. Little did he know, but his depression had just been dealt a fatal blow. Sunday morning came, and he was so excited, he showed up more than half an hour early, but not wanting to look too weird, he hung out in his car until he saw someone else walk up to the clubhouse. Soon, some of the people he had talked with were milling around, and as he approached, they all smiled and waved and welcomed him over. One of them started showing him the ropes, and before he knew it, he was sitting in the middle of a four-person team on a narrow sculling rowboat like they use in the Olympics. His word to describe that boat was sexy, thin and sleek and high-tech and impressive. There were several other boats out on the water from the club, and the atmosphere was warm and friendly and playful as they exchanged taunts and barbs during their warm-ups. It was explained to him that they always changed up their teams for the Sunday meetings. The serious rowers were also on competition teams that didn't change you had to try out for, but they met during the week to train. Sundays were just for fun. It should be said that as he told me about this Sunday morning on the water, he was absolutely glowing. His eyes were sparkling. He was animated. He was completely lost in the retelling of his story. And I was captivated by his energy and the positivity that was streaming out of him. As he talked, I wanted nothing more than to be out there on the water with him. But apparently, even when they're out just having fun, these rowers are pretty serious about their sport. So once the boats were lined up, someone started a stopwatch, and a whistle was blown, and he started to pull. The team leader at the back of the boat was calling out encouragement, and his closest boatmate, the one sitting next to him, gave him tips to improve his technique as they went. And soon he was able to stay in rhythm and get a good feel for the team as they moved. And man, did they move. He wasn't even looking for it, but that old familiar sensation crept up on him. The wind on his skin, in his hair, the lovely exertion of physical effort producing speed. These were things the joyous little kid inside him recognized and rejoiced in. But there was more. The synergy of the team being part of a larger whole and pulling hard with them. The physical beauty of the scenery, the glass-smooth water, the cool air, all of it, all of it, spoke to him deeply and touched that part of him that had been ignored for so long in favor of being safe and productive and responsible. He was on the water with them for a little under two hours, and he left a completely changed man. He tried something new, he had met new people and made new friends. They complimented him on how fast he learned, told him stories of how other members of the team had made hilarious mistakes when they were first starting off. One of them even had the nickname of Fish because of how much time he spent in the water as opposed to on the boat. But Fish 
had ended up one of the most respected members of the club. My client was absolutely radiant as he talked about this Sunday on the water. The positive impact it had on him was immediately obvious and wonderful to see. Whereas in sessions before, he had seemed almost like a lost puppy, in this session, he was a man with a mission, a man with a purpose and a passion. He made rowing his new thing, and he found it to be deeply meaningful and a connection to the innocent, joyful child he used to be. He was also proud of it. He thought rowing was cool. It was a good workout. It made for good conversation. It gave him stories to tell. It opened his world to new experiences and adventures. When I last saw him in our last session, the goal he had set for himself was to join one of the competition teams and to compete in a regional race. He said, you know, it's crazy, but there's a guy in our club who has three Olympic medals from two different games. The last one was a silver. He won that one four years ago when he was older than I am now. He had this far off look in his eyes and I asked him, are you setting your sights on the Olympics, brother? And then he looked at me with a wonderful twinkle in his eye that I will never forget. And he said, it'd be a hell of an adventure, wouldn't it? Now, obviously, rowing isn't going to be the solution for everyone. But I deeply believe that everyone has a similar kind of thing. One of the keys to self-care is finding that thing. Your thing will lead to other joys you didn't even know you were looking for or missing. Be brave enough to not hold yourself back from that thing. It doesn't have to redefine your life or dominate your time. It needs only enhance and enrich your life and the lives of others to connect you with some meaningful thing in some meaningful way. As it turns out, self-care is only partly about yourself. It's mostly about finding meaning and pursuing that meaning. One of my favorite psychological authors is a man named Viktor Frankl, whose story is fantastic and can't possibly be done credit here in this little podcast. But he wrote a memoir for his children. It was never intended to be published, but in that he talks about the things he experienced as a physician and a Jew in concentration camps during World War II. He talks in that book, uh, in Man's Search for Meaning, about the importance of meaning and the importance of having a why. One of his direct quotes is that those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. That's how deeply important meaning is, purpose. That it can help us abide any horrendous circumstance if we have a reason to. He also says, Life is never made unbearable by circumstances, but only by lack of meaning and purpose. Imagine that, a Holocaust survivor who endured those unbearably terrible circumstances, afterwards said that life is never made unbearable by circumstances. If you have not read Man's Search for Meaning, I absolutely recommend it to anyone, but especially to anyone embarking in the field of therapy, whether as a, uh, as a client or as a therapist themselves. Those insights are incredibly powerful. So my friends, to sum up today's think, you cannot find personal meaning by following anyone else's recipe or path. Their meaning 
will never be your meaning. You can deeply admire someone's life and still not have to recreate it. Let them have their great life, and you go and make your own. You do not have to reinvent yourself in order to find happiness. You almost certainly know what makes you happy or what used to make you happy. Try less to recreate the activity you used to do than you try to recreate the feelings you used to have. Hunt those feelings. Hunt them relentlessly in unexpected and unhoped-for places. Keep yourself open to new experiences. Stop seeking it in places that have proven themselves to be empty fountains and allow yourself to look elsewhere. Look inside of yourself and admit the value of the parts of yourself that you might have repressed in the service of being responsible, grown up, serious, respectable, or any other good sounding but superficial virtue and let that part of you out to play. There's a very good likelihood that this childlike part of you has had the answer to your grown up problems all along. That is what self-care is, to take care of the whole self, including, first and foremost, your inner child. Take care of your inner child, and your outer adult will benefit most of all. All right, that should just about do it for today. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for your support. I'm Dan Roberts, and this has been One More Think. Let's take care of each other.